Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So, how you doing? Story in the New York Times today uh, about how they closed down Kabul University there that we built and paid for and gave lots of scholarships to for the last 20 years so that Afghans could go to college, including women. It is now uh, closed down. The American University of Afghanistan. Uh, The Taliban rolled in about a week ago, took down the Afghan flag, put up the Taliban flag, started uh, closing the buildings and turning students away, and uh, made a big statement there on the um, college campus that this is where the United States educated Afghans to be infidels, and it won't happen anymore. So that's their attitude about people who are going to college there. Um, And the headline in the New York Times today is American University of Afghanistan students and relatives trying to flee were sent home. So a whole bunch of these students, hundreds of them, had been f- traveling around in buses around Kabul for the last couple of days because they couldn't be anywhere without fear of the Taliban getting a hold of them. So they're traveling around the streets hoping to get into the airport, hoping to get word that now's the time we can come to the airport. Well, the deadline passed for when we closed down the airport yesterday. We shut it down. Nobody else is getting in. And the State Department sent out an email to him saying no more people are going to be allowed in. But we gave your names and passport information to the Taliban to help. The students can't exactly see how that's going to help them, that the Taliban now has their names, in some instances their addresses, and their passport information in terms of them trying to survive there. Which is a pretty good question. Wow. That is a list of people who are most likely to oppose the Taliban, of women most likely to demand rights, and the rest of it. It's a kill list. Right. And came across this on the Twitter feed just now. Tim Sandifer retweeted it. It's pretty good. The administration lied about giving a list of names to the Taliban, and there's not a fact checker to be found. It's how that story busted out in the middle of the week last week that the administration had given out uh, names of people that were trying to get out to the Taliban under the guise of helping them somehow. Like, this will help you get through the checkpoint. So we've given the Taliban your name. You just walk up to them and say, you should have my name on a list, like you're getting into a hot club, and uh, and uh, then let lay through. Well, what people quickly realized was, wait a second, you told the Taliban that I'm one of the people that worked with you and that's and I need to get out now? That's crazy, dude. I don't know if we've fully recognized that that was a stupid idea or what. Remember, Joe Biden was asked about it. He said, I'm not sure. Um, But then over the weekend, at some point, well, I can read you the tweets. Um, But the main thing is, who's doing the fact-checking on this? It has now been confirmed that we did do that. And you got the college students from that New York Times article saying, yes, that's what they told us. That's what the State Department decree said. So it has been confirmed by Politico and the New York Times that they did give out lists of names of uh, people that had helped us and wanted to get out to the Taliban while the administration was denying it over the weekend. No fact-checking, of course, going on by the media that would fact-check Trump, you know, every word of every speech. It's really troubling. Wow, I mean, that's as if, and I hate to go to the inevitable Nazi Germany, but that's 
as if uh, old man Schindler had given his list to the Nazis and said, these are the people I'm hoping to hide at the factory. If you could, uh, you know, let them through the checkpoints, that'd be great. Yeah. Surely the... Good Lord, the, the administration believed the promises of the Taliban that there would be no reprisals against those who had worked with us and indeed furnished them with the list of the names so they could let their good friends, the Taliban, know who should get through the check, checkpoints. So That's, I can't even I can't believe it's true. So Jennifer Rubin, uh, well-known lefty uh, Twitterer, blue checkmark person. She tweeted over the weekend, perfect example of media hysteria, the giving names to the Taliban is false. How many retweeted, wrote columns on that with no evidence? Um, is anybody going to do any um, uh, column corrections on this story since it turned out not to be true? And she was citing the fact that, that Admiral Kirby said we didn't do this. Well, now Politico and the New York Times are saying, oh, yes, they did. New, the U.S. military provided the Taliban with a list of names and passport info of the hundreds of American University Afghanistan students, the New York Times reports. Okay. So it did happen. Wow. But why? So it's, which which am I mad about? I suppose the fact that they actually gave names and passport information to the Taliban of people that are most likely to get killed. But how about the administration claiming they didn't? What? Yeah, it's not that surprising. Deny, deny, deny. There's no accountability. There's no admitting we got this wrong and here's what we're going to do to fix it. There's just denial. I mean, the strongest thing I've heard is, yeah, it fell a little faster than we expected. That's the closest I've heard to accountability. I wonder if we'll ever even get the information on this because we're in the last 24 hours of the 20 years right now. And I got to assume, and, and Britain and France, they're, and Germany, they're all getting out too. So I got to assume when all these people are gone, there aren't going to be a lot of Western reporters there. So I don't know how much information is going to get out of Kabul. But oh, yeah, I, staying oh, behind would be an incredibly dangerous thing. Will we ever hear if these university students were slaughtered immediately after we left? I don't know if we'll ever even hear about it. I think there are enough people, uh, enough Americans or international folks in touch with enough Afghans behind the lines um, that uh, until the Taliban, with Chinese help, because they will get this assistance, until the the Taliban figures out how to effectively shut down the Internet, to censor social media, to hunt down people based on what they're texting or posting or whatever, there will be a window where people trapped there will communicate with their Western friends. But I don't know how long it lasts. Well, I know the administration thinks they were helping by giving the Taliban this list of names, but the people that you were trying to get out, they don't feel like you were helping. God, that's just astounding. Unbelievable. It, It really is. What a mistake. Did you hear we might turn loose the guy who assassinated Robert F. Kennedy? Yeah. And How uh, that whole thing works is unholy. Several Kennedy relatives have signed on to a letter saying they think that's okay, right? That's what mm-hmm. I saw. Yeah. Because yeah, he was I understand. crazy, Sirhan Sirhan? Yeah. Yeah, among other things. We can give you those okay. facts in a moment. Okay. We'll do that next. Interesting story.
Armstrong and Getty Show. Look at all of the bags. What we got? What we got? We got some candles. Yes, we got. Ooh, we got some lotion. We got some hand wash. We got nice candle. Nice. Not bad. With all that. And then three candles. So that's a woman who supposedly makes a thousand dollars a day dumpster diving. That's what you said. Yeah, it's a thousand a week. Is a thousand a week? Yeah, it's about four thousand dollars a month. Forty-eight thousand dollars a year dumpster diving. How you come up with a thousand dollars a week off of? Here's some hand wash. <laughs> Look, three candles and an old candle. <laughs> give you a buck for that, maybe just if you get away from me. You smell like a dumpster, baby. How about I spend a buck and buy two that don't smell like a dumpster? So, yeah, no, I don't see how she's coming up with a thousand dollars worth of stuff every week. Well, it sounds like dumpster. she's working hard at it, going through okay. a lot of yeah. garbage. You know, I admire the initiative. There she probably you sold you those shoes, Jack. Yeah, I, I bought uh, some used shoes off the internet, off of eBay. Which I've done in the past, but these smell terrible, the ones I got. Terrible. Oof. And I can't get the smell out of them. I've lysed all the heck out of them. I might have to throw them away. An aggressive Yikes. scent. Maybe I ought to stop buying used shoes. Maybe. You're a man of means. Please. Boy, speaking of dumpsters, God, my golf game is in the dumpster. Over the weekend, I could have stood at the end of Santa Monica Pier with a golf club and a ball and missed the ocean. I mean, just sucko. <laughs> Sucky sucko. Anyway, uh, of more uh, more important import is uh, the announcement that a two-person parole board decided that Sirhan Sirhan should be paroled. He was the guy who assassinated Robert F. Kennedy in 1968 as uh, Kennedy had accepted the uh, his victory in the California primary, which meant he was going to be the Democratic a candidate for president. And a crazy, nutty, deluded, I don't know exactly, Sirhan Sirhan gunned him down in cold blood. Yeah. Do you? How much do you know about his mental state at the time or his motivations or whatever? I, I, I know I've read about it, but I can't really remember. My memory, and I've read it about it a lot too, but it's uh, drifted away over the years. My memory of it is he was a crazy guy. Yeah. He says he has no memory of it whatsoever. People tell him he was there and he did it, but he cannot personally vouch for that. Um, he's 77 years old. Two-person parole panel said, yeah, you probably ought to turn him loose. The governor, who is a lunkhead, Gavin Newsom, has 30 days to decide whether to grant it, reverse it, or modify it. I guess uh, Douglas Kennedy, who is the, the son of Robert F. Kennedy, he was a toddler when his father was gunned down, Said he was moved to tears by Sirhan's remorse, and he should be released if he's not a threat to others. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a tough one. I'm a pretty hardcore law and order sort of guy, but if if the guy has no memory of it ever happening, it's like it happened to a like it's like a different person. I mean, what would you? Well, I'm not trying to make a case or anything. I'll just tell you. Model prisoner, volunteer to help others, uh, leader, that sort of thing, in, in a good way, in a very peaceful way for decades now. 
Um, Douglas Kennedy also said something interesting. He said, I'm overwhelmed just by being able to view Mr. Sirhan face to face. I think I've lived my life both in fear of him and his name in one way or another. And I'm grateful today to see him as a human being worthy of compassion and love. You know, that's fine. I don't think the fact that one Kennedy relative, now granted it's the son of the, the murdered man, but one Kennedy has a soft heart, maybe a soft head, thinks the guy ought to be released. That does not speak for all of society as a man who was probably going to be the chief executive was gunned down in cold blood, and society has a vote on this too. Now here's where we get to the point that pisses me off. And that's L.A. County District Attorney George Cascon, who has the new policy that prosecutors' role ends at sentencing. And they should not participate in parole hearings or anything like this. Because traditionally, anywhere but where that communist is in charge, the prosecutor will go to the hearing and say, now remember what this person did and how horrendous it was, and blah, blah, blah. Because you got a lawyer here, you got, again, a soft-hearted relative in some cases. Um, at least the victim is being spoken for by his son. But you have many cases where at the parole hearing, the family or the victims, they don't even get the notification. Right. And all you have is the lawyer and, and the guy who's very well rehearsed. He knows exactly what he ought to say. And then, to speak for the people, you have the prosecutor. But George Gascon, who's an actual communist and a lunatic and believes crime should be uh, legalized, he says, no, the prosecutor shouldn't show up at all. So there's, there was no prosecutor there. I'm, I'm a little torn on this one. Uh, on the other hand, the guy is, I'm pretty sure, a harmless 77-year-old man. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I am comfortable with the idea that if you execute... A political leader. If you commit an act of political violence that's severe, your life is over. You don't, you don't get, get to you, have a life. You anymore. don't get out ever under any circumstances. Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, it, 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 I'm comfortable with that too. Because it's not just punishment; it's it's an example for the rest of us. That is all out of bounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have committed the ultimate penalty, and you don't get to have a life anymore. We don't execute anybody in California at this point, but. You don't get to live your life anymore, even if you become a gentle, harmless old man. I'm pretty comfortable with that. Another Kennedy story we mentioned earlier, a 80, I don't have my notes in front of me now, 83-year-old woman now? I believe that's what you said, yeah. Came forward to finally reveal the fact that she had a four-year affair with John F. Kennedy, first as a senator and then while he was president, started in 1958. He was elected president in 1960 you know anything about history um he was a 40 year old senator she uh must have been quite the 20 year old hottie she caught his eye at some fundraiser he goes down and sits at the table and starts chatting her up says why don't you come by sometime i'll show you my office or something and uh next thing you know they're uh they're doing it and having an affair for four she falls madly in love with him he claimed he was in love with her but he had an awful lot of girlfriends and a wife during that whole period i Nope. And he's 40, you said, and she's 20? Yeah. yeah. Naive kid. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a super rich, good-looking U.S. senator, soon to be president. And she uh, she was going and visiting him in the White House and everything. And reporters and, knew it at the time. Um, or at least knew of the lovers. Yeah, I don't know if they know about her particularly, but probably did. And I just, 
One, it's it's interesting from a because JFK is a very impressive guy in a lot of different ways, and he's a hero to so many different people in so many different ways and everything like that. But his personal life, his personal behavior is scumbaggery, man. That is just super duper not cool. Um, oh, I just remembered a, a buddy of mine was telling me there's a book out. It might be called The Kennedy Men, and it's all about John and Bobby and Ted. And and I think uh, old man Joe Kennedy too, but just what horrendous pigs they were. I mean, they had no morals when it came to Certainly that sort of thing. Sexually, when it came to yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't. You know, if if your if your wife is cool with it, fine. But the twenty year old who was in love with you, she had a different view of what was going on there than you did, as a grown man. You know, you're having sex with uh, the Marilyn Monroe or whatever, but. Um, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. And reading about the way she described it sounds a lot like the stuff Andrew Cuomo did that forced him to resign recently. You know, hitting on women all the time. Um, And I love you. It's the same exact sort of thing. Well, and as I said earlier, I think it's interesting that at age 83, she's nearing the end of the road. She's decided to talk about this for the first time. And I'm saying she just wants wants her grandkids to know, you know, JFK. I hit that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She wants credit. Me and Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, exactly. You heard of Marilyn Monroe? Yeah. I took her boyfriend. (laughs) Maybe you've heard of him. John Kennedy. (laughs) So you think it's just bragging, huh? Yeah. Who can blame the old gal? Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Don't say a word. You look at it. When we went into Afghanistan, the primary threat was a terrorist attack. And now we're leaving 20 years later, and the primary threat is a terrorist attack. The difference is that in 2001, we were worried about another attack on our homeland. Today, we are worried about an attack on our troops in Kabul, thousands of miles away from the U.S. So... Maybe that's what we got out of 20 years of war. David Martin of CBS. I couldn't figure out if he meant, so that's a good thing, or we didn't get much. It sounded like he was saying the whole, we're fighting them over here, so we don't have to fight them at home. And thing. as soon as but our... That seems oversimplified. As soon as all of our troops are out, it's not necessary that they're going to attack us here. No... No, everything's, I mean, there are a lot of things that have changed fundamentally since 2001. I mean, uh, just American policy, American presence in the Middle East, the situation in Iraq, just all sorts of things have changed. So, yeah, I don't know, that's oversimplified. So the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, was on ABC This Week with Martha Raddatz yesterday, and they got into discussion of trust in the Taliban. Just uh, about 24 hours ago, a very senior Taliban uh, leader spoke on television and on the radio throughout Afghanistan and repeatedly assured the Afghan people that they would be free to travel after uh, August 31st. Uh, and he- but, but Secretary Blinken, they do not trust. Uh, I, I mean, I know you say you don't trust the Taliban, but now you're telling me we should trust what the Taliban I'm said. Not, no, Those I'm people not, I'm are not, hiding. I'm not saying that, Martha. I'm not saying we should trust the Taliban on, uh, on anything. I'm simply reporting what... One of their senior leaders said uh, to the Afghan people, he specifically cited as well 
uh, those who worked for Americans and uh, any other Afghan for whatever what, what reason. The, what the hell was that? I was so confused by that. Oh, well, I don't want to steal Ben Sass's thunder, but what the blank are you talking what about? What was that? Play, play that again, the beginning of it, just like the first part of it. Just uh, about 24 hours ago, a very senior Taliban uh, leader spoke on television and on the radio throughout Afghanistan and repeatedly assured the Afghan people that they would be free to travel after. So you just, that you obviously said that to try to assure Americans and Afghans that the Taliban are going to be good. Then when you're challenged on it, you say, we don't trust them. You just, what are you, I don't understand what you're doing. Are you trying to fool us? The same Taliban that said women can continue to be journalists, then shut down every woman journalist who said there would be no reprisal killings and have executed quite a few people. You're trying to tell me because the Taliban said, oh, Americans can get out after the 31st. No problem. You're telling me I should be assured by that, Secretary Blinken. No, we are not assured. Well, then why did you just say what you said? I'm confused. They roll on. Next one, 51. You're, you're trying to reassure our Afghan allies. They're not reassured. Those interpreters who aren't getting out, they're not reassured by a statement like that. So what more so, can you tell them to get out? Uh, How to get out? Certainly. And, Martha, that was just point one. Point two is this. Um, 114 countries have point made very clear that way. it is their expectation that the Taliban will uh, uh, permit freedom of travel going past uh, August uh, 31st. So that is a clear expectation across the entire world, across the entire international community. I just... Wow. I know. Wow. I know. 114 countries said, we expect you to let people travel freely. Oh, yeah, sure we will, says the rogue regime that throws gay people off buildings. That's so weird. So does he believe that? It's, it's, I, I asked this last week, I realized. Do these people that go to Ivy League colleges and study political science and government departments come to believe that all these theories and words and international organizations rule the day? When what has ruled the day since the dawn of time and always will is might. I think they do believe that, and they cling to that belief in the face of all evidence. And I think Anthony Blinken's in a situation where he has the choice between saying some of that utter horse crap or saying there are hundreds of Americans trapped in Kabul, Martha. We have no idea how they're going to get out, and we have no mechanism for helping them. What's your next question? Now he gets into the leverage that we supposedly have. We have very significant leverage uh, to um, work uh, with over the uh, weeks and months ahead to incentivize the Taliban to make good uh, on its commitments. We've been very actively planning for um, what would be necessary to keep the airport functioning, uh, either to uh, have it function um, right immediately after the 31st or, if necessary, to take the steps uh, required to reopen it. Uh, in a timely fashion, working with uh, countries in the region who are very interested in helping. The Taliban have a strong interest in having an airport that functions. The Afghan people have a strong interest in an airport that functions. The entire international community has that interest. So he clearly believes the Taliban is going to be a legitimate government, respected by other countries around the world, running an international airport with our help and money, I guess, Mm -hmm. to keep it open. Yeah. I actually found that answer less horrifying 
Because the analysis I've read that I think is sound points out that, yeah, they really do want a functioning airport because that'll make them seem more like a real country. So there could be a little leverage. But they aren't going to be a real country. They're going to be a bunch of thugs who rape little boys and stone women who uh, they they walk outside without a man. Right. With an airport. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's rational. I'm just saying they want it. Is uh, is fifty three as good as it looks? Okay, they want it. So why would we provide it though? That that's the part I didn't get. Because they'll let our people out in return. I say we lie to them the way they're going to lie to us. Yeah, we'll give you plenty of money to fix the airport. Let our people out. Yeah, about that money. Uh, call us later. Checks in the mail. Exactly. Weird beard. <laughs> I want to hear a uh, fifty three. While the airport is critical. Uh, there are other ways to leave uh, Afghanistan, including uh, by road. In many countries, border Afghanistan. That's a very Tal- dangerous trip. Again, if the Taliban is um, serious about the commitments that it's repeatedly made in public, including nationally across wow. the country, as well as in private, commitments that the international community intends to hold the Taliban to, uh, then uh, we'll find ways to do it. That's a hell of a big if. Yeah, Martha, they can uh, use roads, for instance, or or perhaps streets. Um, there's always the option of uh, boulevards or, or drives. They could evacuate via drives. Lanes and alleys. If the Taliban uh, lives up to the commitments, and we certainly expect them to, uh, they've made to 114 to 116 different countries around the world, we can uh, expect that they will... Uh, live by the agreements that we have uh, forged. Holy crap. In but, other words, you got like one card. So he Yeah, and so he continued with his talk of we expect them to. They don't care. How, how do you guys not get this? And I really feel they, like they, they don't. They think they care. They think they can make them care. They think they have a carrot that the Taliban is, is interested in chomping on. Whether they do or not is highly in doubt. I I thought that whole well. Let's play Ben Sass now because I felt exactly the same way, and I, I was I was happy to uh, to hear Ben Sass, the Nebraska senator, immediately start like this. Fifty five. That interview was disgusting, and the American people have a right to be livid about it. There is clearly no no plan. There has been no plan. Their plan has basically been happy talk. People have died and people are going to die because President Biden decided to rely on happy talk instead of reality. And so they decided to outsource security around the perimeter of the airport to the Taliban. They passed a list of American citizens and America's closest allies, people who fought alongside us. They passed those lists to the Taliban, relying on them, thinking they could trust on them. It was stupid then. It's insane now. Yeah, I was happy to hear him say that because I thought, am I listening to this right? Or is this just crazy what the Secretary of State is saying? And uh, Senator Sass, who's not really a bomb chucker, said that interview was disgusting. That interview was disgusting. I appreciated what well-respected, seasoned uh, international reporter John Carl said on that same panel, Clip 58. I mean, it, it is, uh, they have been describing something that isn't reality. Uh, this has been an incredible airlift. More than 100,000 people evacuated, but what a disaster. Uh, clearly, Thursday was the worst day of the Biden presidency. And we don't really know how bad it really is. Uh, we, we know the disaster that has unfolded. Now the big question is, 
Does Afghanistan once again become a safe haven for terrorist attacks on U.S. interests around the world? Uh, we will have this over-the-horizon uh, capability, but the bottom line is the terror threat has increased and our ability to combat it has decreased. The whole Taliban letting people through. We gave them the checklists. They're cooperating. We expect them to abide by the agreements. John Carl, who is no conservative, no anti-Biden guy, just said, they're describing something that doesn't exist. They have been describing something that isn't reality. Right. Yeah, that's something. Right. By the way, we haven't played this yet. Somebody unearthed this a week ago. This is from back in 2014. This is Senator John McCain when Anthony Blinken's name was thrown around for a cabinet position back then. Madam President, I rise to discuss in a, my opposition to the pending uh, vote concerning Mr. Anthony Tony Blinken, who is not only unqualified, but in fact, in my view, uh, one of the worst uh, selections that of a very bad lot that this president has chosen. He thought Anthony Blinken, apparently knew him, was way off track in terms of understanding the world. Mm. I think he may have been right. He's just he's just one of those people that that believes in words. And words are great. I I I try to teach my kids to use their words. It'd be nice if we could say but you can't if you're dealing with a really bad guy, you don't get to settle things with words. You just don't get yeah. to. Well, yeah, it's academics versus realists. And I get the idea Blinken is from that highly academic school of foreign policy. Okay, our executive producer Hansen says these uh, two more clips from McCain on this are worth it. That not often do I come to the floor to oppose a nomination of the president of the United States because I believe that elections have consequences. In this case, this individual has actually been dangerous to America and to the young men and women who are fighting and serving it. The, uh, Mr. Blinken has been a foreign policy advisor to Vice President Biden since his days in the Senate. But as Robert Gates has noted, Mr. Biden has been, quote, wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. With Blinken as his main advisor, roll on there, Michael. Mr. Blinken has been a functionary and an agent of a U.S. foreign policy that has made the world much less safe today. Let's just review a couple of some of the elements in particular and Mr. Blinken's role in conceptualizing and furthering it. U.S. foreign policy is in a shambles. It's at best a strategic and at worst anti-strategic. It lacks any concept of how to obtain our foreign policy goals. This has led to countless foreign policy failures including the continued slaughter of the Syrian people by President Bashar al-Assad, the Russian reset that culminated in President Putin's invasion of Ukraine, the betrayal of our key allies, especially in Central Europe, not to mention Israel, failing to achieve a status of force agreement that would help to maintain Iraq security and stability, following similarly unwise, unwise strategies in Afghanistan, we will see the same movie in Afghanistan that we saw in Iraq if we have a date-driven withdrawal rather than a status-driven, conditions-driven situation. Well, I think John McCain had uh, Anthony Blinken nailed down as to what he is. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. So he's been Biden advisor through all these years that Secretary Gates said uh, 
Biden was wrong about everything. Yeah, he was the he was the thinker. He was the brains behind the operation. Well, now we know how we got where we got in Afghanistan. Seems pretty clear. Uh, we'll finish strong. That's our thing, right? That's our that's our that's like what we're known for is finishing strong on the show. Oh yeah, never count us out. <laughs> Next segment will be fantastic. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Me, I want to ask you something. Listen, if a stranger comes up to you and says, Hey, little girl, do you want some candy? What would you say? Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You know, your mom's quizzing you. You're trying to, what am I being tested on? Politeness. I'll bet that's it. Good manners. That's what I'm being tested on, right? Manners? All right. Don't mind if I do. Wow. Oh, nice try, Mom. How, how, how old was that little girl? Do we know? I think she was like four. She's very young. Yeah, very young. young. Yeah. yeah. Um, We're posting a video, another one of those people going nuts, uh, planes and airports and stuff like that. This guy goes nuts at the Miami airport because they're going to make him wear a mask. He's in the security oh, line. Boy. And he goes berserko. And I can't believe the the video that I've seen. Of course, everybody's got their phone out. That's the new modern thing. If there's somebody might get hurt by a crazy person, nobody helps the somebody who might get hurt by a crazy person. They just get out their phone and watch somebody get beaten by a crazy person. Oh, my God. I could go viral. I could go viral. I could go viral. Or or that weird, I need to share this with other people because it's not just experiencing it here alone is not enough or something. Because I... I does anybody in those situations ever say, hey, you know, if we all put our foot down, I think the whole of us, like all 15 of us, could probably subdue this guy and stop him from hurting that other gentleman. But anyway, guy goes wow. guy goes nuts at the airport, and he starts picking up the the things that hold the, uh, the, the barrier ropes, those metal poles that have a weighted bottom. Oh, yeah. yeah. He picks those up and starts swinging those around at the security guy who's telling him if he doesn't put a mask on, he can't get on, can't come through to get on the plane. And like nobody's helping, and there's no people keep saying, are there police at this airport? It's a Miami airport. It's a major airport. So not a cop. This goes on for many, many minutes. And there's just no cops around anywhere. And he's swinging this thing at people. Poor airport workers. You know, I've witnessed the same thing at airports. There are a few cops wandering around, but really not enough. And I'm not sure they have any interest in doing anything. You got a hell of a lot of humanity ooching about in an airport. More cops. Admit me, chorus to this history. Who, prologue-like, your humble patients pray. Gently to I'll hear. wrap it up. Kindly to judge. <laughs> the final thoughts of Armstrong wow, and Getty. Wow, wow. Uh, here's your host for final thoughts, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew. There he is, pressing the buttons, keeping us on the air in the control room, Michelangelo. Michael, what's your final thought, Rob? You know, the one good thing about all this Afghanistan coverage is it really has shown, like, the woke crowd and just people in general how silly and easy their lives are here in the United States. Yeah, here, here. Undeniable. Young Alex is, uh, what is what's his status? I don't know. know. Does he got Ebola? How long does he have to be away from work? I don't know, but he's not here, so uh, anyway, we'll skip over to Jack for a final thought. Jack? 
I'm solidly of the opinion that our Secretary of State is a crackpot. Um, I usually give these people a lot of leeway because there's policies you agree with, don't agree with. It's a tough job, blah, blah. I think this guy's really out to lunch. I think he just completely misreads humanity. And he's the Secretary of State. My final thought is that I believe the CDC, which recently has uh, come out with a list of words and phrases you and doctors should and shouldn't use, all about gender equity and intersectionality and critical theory. And I think they are now the O.J. Simpson of government agencies. They are thoroughly discredited. Any trust or affection they previously enjoyed is gone, gone, gone. The O.J. Simpson of government agencies. Damn! <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. You mean once liked and respected, and then all of a sudden, nothing. 100% discredited. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people who thank so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. We've got some great hot links for you, good clicks. You can email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Get yourself some swag, good stuff. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless America. Armstrong and Getty. No friggin'. Tonsils. Words. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's true. They've been describing something that isn't reality. It boggles the mind. Yeah. Go away. So let's go out with a bang. The old gal, 83, uh, nearing the end of the race, uh, wanting everybody to know it. Is she just saying, hey, before I go, I want you to know, I hit that. <laughs> there was no missile crisis when we were together, is all I'm saying. <laughs> mm. Excelsior. On that high note, thank you all very much. <laughs>